Hello, everyone, wherever you are tuning in from. Thank you, Adam, Anna, Charles, and Ron for being here today. After a quiet August, we are back with another climate talk. This time we'll be talking about energy management. Uh, and before we dig into this topic, we have to apologize to those who have tuned in before, but we have newcomers in our audience and we would like to introduce ourselves. We are an international organization triggered by Taylor Sport. In the last two years, we have been building an open and collaborative network, a platform where companies share in a variety of ways, climate solutions spread across the wine value chain. By coincidence, someone wrote to us today using the exact words we use to explain our purpose. There should be no competition when it comes to fighting global warming. Climate action is about survival as a species, not as a sector, and we will only be able to respond to this crisis together. In regards to Porto Protocol, we are a growing community with members from different regions, sizes, spread across the wine value chain and in different stages of climate action. Uh, this is really important for us. We welcome companies to join us regardless of where they are in terms of climate path. We value progress, action, more than we do perfection. Our experience is showing us that this spirit of inclusiveness creates a wider space for learning and connection between members and to boost climate action. So consider this as an invitation to act and to join us. We would love to meet you and we are a click away. And I just want to tell you about one new project of ours, a carbon management workshop designed with our global steering committee that is an immersion into carbon along the wine cycle. Our global steering committee has Greg Jones, Diana Says, Dr. Richard Smart, and Nuno Gaspardo Oliveira. I'm sure if you're in the wine industry, you are familiar for sure with some of these names. Check out our website and drop us an email so we can send you all the information. Moving on to the climate talks, they are a fundamental tool in the way we work as they rely on collaborative sharing, having people from different regions, profiles, companies, share their experiences the best they have done and that they know how. This particular climate talk represents also the beginning of a partnership with the International Vintage Master, whose students will be covering, summarizing and building a report with additional resources on top of each of our future, future digital conversations, starting with this one. And for the first time since we started our climate talks more than a year ago, we do not have a wine producer sitting at our digital table, but you'll realize in a minute they are fully represented. So we'll be sharing experiences and ideas on energy management, as we mentioned. And let me introduce you to each of the stakeholders we have here at our table. So our host is Charles Perry. Charles, thank you for being here. Charles is an expert consultant in terms of consultancy and with a long-term experience with energy. And he's been working with various sectors, organizations, and lately uh, events such as COP26 that is coming in the next few weeks. Then we have Adam. Hi, Adam. Thank you for being here. Actually, both and Charles are tuning in from the UK. Adam is tuning in as a head of energy at Lanchester Wines. I'm always, sorry, Lanchester of Lancaster. I'm always, uh, I always have this uh, problem, but you'll, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll correct me, Adam, if I'm wrong. Uh, uh, Anna, sorry, Anna is joining Anna Britton, is the executive director of Napa Green. I'm sure we have a lot of people tuning in from California, mostly the US, but mostly California. So I know you probably know uh, Anna and you know her institution as well. 
and Ron Runen, no, no, this is going to be dif difficult, Runenbaum. He's an assistant professor in viticulture analogy and in chemical engineering and material science at UC Davis. So without further ado, I will disappear and I'll pass on the word to you. Thanks, Charles. Uh, thank you so much, Christina. I hope everybody can hear me. Just raise your hands as I can see, that's good. Um, and Marta as well from the Porto Protocol. Uh, delighted to be invited uh, to chair this wonderful discussion. And indeed, yes, I'm here in Hertfordshire outside of London. I was in London earlier on today, uh, so it's not far away. And I'm based in the UK with my little business, Sustainable Future for All, having exited a couple of uh, other sustainable businesses that I've built over the, over the recent uh, years with different business partners. So we have a great lineup in Anna and Ron and Adam. And... Uh, uh, knowing that it's nice and early uh, in California, Anna, I'm going to I'm going to start with you if you don't mind. Uh, and um, I hope it's a beautiful morning. I hope uh, it's great to uh, to 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 join a webinar like this first thing in the morning when you're when you're fresh. So can you just tell us a little bit more about uh, your your role at Napa Green to start off with, please, Anna? Yeah, well, I'm actually calling in from Venice, but don't worry, oh. <laughs> I purchased my carbon offsets, um, so uh, I can be. You'll have to explain what you're doing in Venice, but that that'll come later. <laughs> yes, vacation. Yes, vacation. But um, yeah, so so Napa Green is a leading sustainability and climate action certification for both wineries and vineyards in Napa County, so they can be just winery certified, just vineyard certified, or both. Um, and I'm going to be talking more about one of the things that's really unique to our winery side. I think we're going to be talking more about the winery side, um, which is that we facilitate what are called these integrated resource audits, one-stop energy, water, and waste audits. We've done more than 160 of those. So we have a pretty unique data set and experience to share in terms of evaluating energy efficiency. So I'll talk more about that later. I won't dig in too deeply. And Anna, if you don't mind, just tell us something about your sort of personal story, how you got to be at Napa and Napa Green. Well, that's good to stress. So my experience isn't just with Napa Green. I have a long, more than a decade of experience in sustainable wine growing consulting. So I've worked much more broadly um, throughout the state and with actually with Canada. I'm working with Ontario right now on their sustainable wine growing program. And I'm actually from, though, from the Napa Valley. I'm a native. Um, I didn't mean to be working there, but this, this is how it ended up. And it is personally very meaningful to me to have come back after having worked internationally and in Washington, D.C., to now be managing the Napa Green program for six years, more than six years now, um, because I am from there. I'm grounded there. It means so much to me to be part of the solution uh, in Napa County and in California. Thank you very much, Anna. Right, we're going to stick with the American theme, even though Anna's in Venice. I think you are in America, Ron, and it's probably it's quite early for you. Tell us a bit about yourself. You're a professor, and where exactly are you um, today, Ron? Yes, so I'm on campus at uh, the University of California at Davis. I'm an assistant professor in viticulture and enology, as well as chemical engineering. And so much of my uh, research focuses on more sustainable use of our natural resources, including applications in, in winemaking and more broadly uh, in agriculture. Uh, and so, so Rob, tell us a bit more about your sort of background. I mean, I know you've got a PhD. Tell us a bit about the journey you went down to get to what you're doing now. Yeah, so uh, I have an undergraduate and, and PhD in chemical engineering. Uh, Along the way, I, I found out about winemaking and thought it was a wonderful application of chemical engineering and fermentation, biochemical engineering. 
Uh, and there's just a lot of other interesting uh, chemical engineering uh, questions uh, that, that I think kind of the discipline can, can help move forward, especially as they're related to sustainability. So a lot of that is energy management, but also other aspects of natural resources, water, chemistry that we're using, as well as labor. Uh, and all of those have implications on the economics uh, of, of the winery and the industry. Very good. Right, we're going to turn to Adam. And I, I understand, Adam, you're in the UK along with myself. So there are two of us uh, UK based and, and uh, well, and, and two from, from, uh, from the West, uh, from America. Uh, Adam, tell us a bit about uh, yourself. Where are you today? I, I'm at Lanchester Wines. I'm 300 miles north of you. Um, uh, up near Durham, um, and uh, we we are a, a big uh, a bottler of of, of wine. Uh, mostly comes into this from the southern hemisphere uh, into the UK. Um, I joined this company in 2012 um, because the family owners of the business um, had 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 really bought into the idea that that, that uh, carbon footprint was going to be a a, a, a sort of differentiator in 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 the market uh, back in 2012, um, and so they wanted to commit the company uh, to going carbon neutral. Um, we didn't take a very conventional route to that, um, but we did take account of very much of, of 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 our place where we are in the UK, up on top of a windy hill. Um, but we'll talk about that, uh, I guess, in the discussions. We will indeed, Adam. Thanks so much. So, just just setting the sort of framework in terms of the uh, the energy challenge, the energy transition. I mean, so my uh, my experience with this goes back to prior to joining BP. Uh, so, in my in my twenties, I was an environmental consultant, and I was focused on the oil and gas uh, sector. And Shell was actually my biggest client. And then uh, I did an MBA focused on the business case for sustainability, and joined BP. Uh, confident that as a change agent, I could go inside a big oil and gas company and try and change it. And uh, that was like going into battle every day because uh, we formed two big camps, the sort of petrol heads and the greenies. And uh, we certainly didn't see eye to eye, let's put it that way, especially uh, when we launched, uh, I was one of the team that launched in group marketing at that time, uh, the brand, the Helios, the sun with uh, beyond petroleum underneath. <laughs> and that caused all sorts of uh, anxiety amongst uh, the internal culture in terms of whether BP was getting out of oil and gas or it was sort of redefining its business and what did beyond petroleum mean? And, you know, what was the, the, uh, the capital program that was going to support our move into renewable energy? And it turned out that was $8 billion after we did a lot of hard work to get the uh, John Brown and the board um, to actually unlock that $8 billion. And no sooner that, that happened, uh, and we started developing our wind and solar assets around the world, you know, many in America. Um, uh, it, it, we got to sort of 2006, I left the company, a new chief executive arrived, and that chief executive decided that developing wind and solar farms was a complete waste of time and started selling off everything that we had been investing in and went straight back to petroleum. So it just shows you that uh, this journey, this energy transition journey is fraught with all sorts of difficulty. And um, it's a, it becomes either a, a, a vicious circle on the one hand, or it could become, if you unlock it in the right way, a virtuous circle. I think we're still stuck in, in the sort of vicious, uh, let's call it a vicious cycle, where, for example, if you're an oil and gas company, you're still measured uh, in terms of how much you get out the ground rather than developing wind and solar assets. They don't give you any 
any rewards for that in terms of your share price. So that was the argument of the chief executive. And it was actually at Stanford, not too far from where you guys are. He made a famous speech in, in 2007, or where Ron is right now. And he said, we have to return to our primary purpose, which is to create shareholder value, uh, i.e. let's just get stuff off the ground. And then of course the oil spill happened a year later in the Gulf of Mexico and the value of BP halved. And my share, my shares went from 650 to 325, uh, even though I'd left the company. So I was pretty disgusted with all of that. Anyway, going to you, Anna, when you look at the energy challenge um, and especially at Napa Green, where you're auditing the sort of whole process, um, how do you find there's a trajectory? I mean, is it a sort of science-based pathway? Do you talk about net zero? Uh, how do you sort of frame it when you're talking, um, you know, to Napa Green members about, about uh, navigating the difficulties of the energy challenge? Yeah, well, one of the things that we do is, and I think is really important for everyone to think about is we help our members to baseline and track their energy use specifically for electricity. It's kilowatt hours per case. That's how we measure it. And what we have based on having done more than 160 energy audits at wineries, and then also all kinds of energy efficiency research, California Sustainable Wine Growing Alliance, et cetera. What we have is sort of benchmarks, goalposts of excellent performance, doing okay, needs improvement. There's opportunities here. So as we help them baseline and we establish that, you know, you're at 10 kilowatt hours per case, and then we make the cost transition there because that in California translates to about $2.40 per case in terms of electricity investments. Uh, we help them look at, okay, so do, does it look like you have an opportunity here to improve efficiency? And then we help them identify what are the things from low hanging fruit to larger level opportunities. One of the biggest opportunities in wineries is refrigeration. Um, so often we're looking at that area. Um, and then something I'm sure we'll talk about more, Adam and I were talking about as we prepared for this too, is making clear too that renewable energy is not energy efficiency, right? So we really talk about do not solarize, as we call it, your inefficiencies. You need to first maximize your energy efficiency. And then that reduces, in the case of solar, that reduces the footprint, that reduces the resources to make that solar, that reduces the cost of that solar installation. It maximizes the benefit of that solar installation if you first maximize your efficiency. So that's very much what we are focused on. Excellent. And you, you know, you bring up the point about the visible forms of energy, you know, solar and wind are renewables, and they're very visible, right. and energy efficiency is invisible, largely, right. So the, there's, right. and there's a sort of pro and con in the terms of, you know, often, what's visible is sort of sexier and sort of in terms of pointing to your wind turbines or your solar panels. Right. And then there's a lot of behind the scenes going on with the invisible stuff, which is not as easy to PR, if you like, but is very good for direct savings on the bottom line. Well, yeah, I was going to say that, you know, what is sexy is saving money because we've helped yes. our members yeah. save more than $14 million in electricity costs. So that so is it, something you can point to that's tangible. So that, so you're actually saying the invisible uh, technologies are sexier than the visible technologies, right? Adam, do, do you agree with that? What do you think in terms of the visible and invisible opportunities in energy management? This, this is this is a hugely problematic area, and I and I'm and I'm now right in the middle of it, um, uh, because to, to, to some extent uh, I, I, I did what, uh, what what Anna is 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 saying is the wrong route is that um, we did we did well we windized some of our inefficiency, um, and, and and that's because we, we we are on top of a windy hill. 
Um, and so with the wind turbines that we installed uh, back in 2012, I was generating five and a half million kilowatt hours, but I only actually needed a million and a half um, to run the factory. Um, and of course, all of the uh, all of the electricity that we didn't need was going back into the grid at trade price. So once you put a commercial overlay on this, um, actually, uh, we, we for example, I, I didn't change all the uh, lighting in that million square foot of warehouse uh, to LED all in one go, because actually the electricity that I was using to run the inefficient lighting was incredibly cheap and generated on site 50 meters away. Um, so I did that over three years, taking out equipment as it broke down and replacing it uh, as it needed replacing. Because I think there's a there's this when when you get down to the practicalities of this, there's a there's, there's huge issues of, of of embedded energy in the equipment that you're installing. Um, I, I have another example of it that uh, that we're wrestling with at the moment, which is we clean our uh, our wine bottling equipment using steam which actually gives us rather a high energy input um, uh, uh, and on the per case um, um, uh, measurement, that's, that's something of a problem. But the problem is that uh, my alternative is, uh, is a chemical uh, process for cleaning, uses a lot less energy, uh, but that would require us to put some water processing equipment uh, in, you know, lots of concrete, lots of holes and lots of uh, lots of uh, potentially more chemicals to reverse the uh, the dosing. So uh, if, if I'm to race to uh, to get my per case kilowatt hours low, um, then we to switch to chemical cleaning in the in the in the factory. Then again, I've got millions of kilowatts generated here. I only get trade price for it. Um, and, and so at the moment we're sticking with steam. But, it, it, you know, once you get down to the detail of this, it's, it's, it's quite complicated to decide. It certainly is. And the cost and benefits obviously influenced a lot by government policy. And that can change yes, uh, yes. very rapidly. As we know, in the UK, we've had about 23 energy ministers in about 16 years in my rough estimation since I've been in this space. <laughs> Every energy minister wants to do something different. And most energy ministers... Uh, they come into the job really not really knowing what a kilowatt hour is because they don't come from any energy backgrounds you know it's yes, not it's a hugely disappointing <laughs> uh, yeah you don't have to have worked in energy at all to become the energy minister so it's a, and then they have to go on a learning curve and and what they you know the sort of there's a temptation to latch onto a silver bullet and say oh it's got to be that and then you know put all the government incentives into that and pull them away from every, everything else that the previous government or the you know the opposition minister had done prior to your arrival uh, yeah. so ron going to you and being in california where we are led to believe that the policy incentives have always uh, you know in the last 10 years or longer have been very progressive in this area of helping small businesses uh, you know, really sort of become self-sufficient and generate their own energy. I mean, is that a fair uh, conclusion? And how how do you view the policy landscape in California? Well, I, I guess I would just start by saying that, you know, even in California, it, it continues to be complicated because we have not only a, a state organization, we also have individual counties. You know, the cost of, of energy from different producers uh, can be different, as well as you know trade-offs, as Adam was talking about, with maybe other things that one could do, as far as costs of, of water and, and waste uh, waste disposals. And so, you know, it's it's not really possible to have say one solution that fits all. It's it's you know helping everyone understand you know uh, 
how to measure some of these things and, and, and do so over time so they can decide what's best for them and their business uh, and their location. And Ron, in the whole wine farming process, if we just get into the detail of, of the, the sort of whole value chain, I mean, wh where have you spent a lot of your time focusing? I mean, is it across the board or do you find that there are really quick wins in, in certain specific areas that you've, you've actually made your specialization? Well, I, I, I as, as a research faculty, I, I kind of specialize uh, across uh, the board right now. A good amount of it is in sort of energy management, but these things become very intertwined. So, uh, you know, for instance, you know, we have these tanks behind me. You know, these are highly polished tanks. Uh, again, that would be uh, a significant capital investment for, for any winery. But, you know, them being highly polished, it minimizes, uh, you know, the the adherence, you know, kind of uh, any sort of particulate matter adhering to the to the sides of those walls, which then reduces, you know, the chemistry and hot water that one needs to clean them. Uh, and so these things end up becoming quite intertwined. And, and so sometimes these decisions uh, end up sort of cascading from one another. And that's on the on the sort of production side um, and the and the sort of, you know, the um, the winemaking side. What about in terms of actual the the agricultural so for example um tractors i mean are you still finding that all the tractors are diesel or are you seeing moves to electric and hydrogen i suppose it's still very expensive to have you know alternative fuel tractors are you seeing much of that in california i, I think there's some companies that are kind of going down that path but i think there's still a lot of challenges uh from that standpoint uh my my research and, and focus is more on the winemaking side and less so on the on the growing side and so I'm not as familiar with uh, where, where yeah. things are at, at this time and in, in, in well, the capacity of those types of tractors right we'll come back, we'll come back to the winemaking side I want to go to Anna yeah Anna please come in well yeah I can speak to that the tractor piece there's um, I hate to just call out one but there's monarch tractor there's another regional group that are really taking off right now in terms of electric tractors and are actually showing themselves to be quite cost effective because of course there's regional specific incentives, right? But we have regional incentives that can kind of offset that purchase of electric tractors. So we're actually seeing a huge interest right now in the purchase of electric tractors, just kind of as a side note. But one of the thing, other things I wanted to know that relates to what Adam and Ron were saying is this isn't just thinking about your electricity use, your natural gas use, your propane, your diesel for the unfortunately increasing number of generators we're having to have in Napa County due to the fires. But mm -hmm. it's, it's again, thinking much more with much more complexity in terms of your overall production. So I was talking to a journalist recently who was really confused when I said this. And I said, anything that a winery does to save water or reduce waste is also reducing energy use and carbon footprint. And she's like, I have no idea what you're talking about, right? But transporting, treating and heating water is a huge energy use. So we talk about this steam cleaning issue a lot, just to what you were talking about, Adam, it's saving water it might be increasing energy use. So there's this complexity, this trade-off there. Um, and the same thing with your waste going to landfill, you know, emissions, the, the actual, you know, trucking of that waste and the energy that that takes. We've had one of our wineries that focused on really reducing their waste and they reduced their costs by more than $30,000 in terms of trucking of that material, right? So there's just the whole complex array of how we have to think about energy. It's not just the literally turning on the lights, turning on the refrigeration. 
Yes, and, 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 and like you say, like you say, it is it is different for different uh, for different sectors. Like uh, I'm in the northeast of England, um, you know, it rains quite a lot here, uh, and the reservoir is forty kilometres away. You know, water is not that critical really um, uh, uh, as a resource here. You know, it, it's cheap and plentiful. It falls out of the sky all the time. Not um, true here. <laughs> <laughs> but if we get American winemakers over here, you know, they're horrified how, uh, how, <laughs> how, uh, how profligate we are with the water. Yeah. Um, Adam, but, tell us a bit about space heating, because I know you focused a lot about, on that. Yes, yes, that's, uh, that's, I suppose, where we've taken a big step forward in the last, in the last uh, uh, two or three years. Um, once we'd addressed the, the big issue of electricity use, uh, we, I mean, we were very fortunate with our location that we, we, we effectively turned a competitive disadvantage of our location into a competitive advantage by putting these three half a megawatt wind turbines on the site. Um, moving down the list, our next big en biggest energy use was space heating um, because we do a lot of warehousing of wine and warehousing and distribution. Um, and, uh, and again, looking at our location, um, we're in, a, a, in an old mining region. Um, and so all these Victorian, you know, 1850s mines are, are under our site are all flooded and quite big voids, quite big spaces, quite big spaces for water. Um, so we, we, we rather boldly stepped into um, um, developing a mine water heat pump, um, which, uh, yeah, I, I think is a real advantage when you're when you're pioneering these kind of things. If you, if, you, if you don't know how complicated the thing is before you start, we never would have done this if I'd known how complicated it was. Um, but, at, but actually, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, um, it, it, it's finally been a success. It's uh, initially a nine month project. I'm, I'm saying it's a success on year four. Um, Very good. I mean, I know we, we had an image of it, but I, I probably think it's, it's probably a bit complicated to show that image. Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. Uh, but basically, basically, basically what, we're, what we're doing is we're, we're sucking up mine water uh, from the flooded mines, which is at about 17 degrees. And we're putting it through a heat pump process, which is very established technology in refrigeration. It's, it's the same technology, it's the same companies that provide it. Um, oh, there we go. Ooh, well done, logo Martin. right in the middle. Let's lose the logo <laughs> right in the middle. Um, yep. So that's so that's a big that's a big where there's a yeah there we go, so um, so that, that that's a that, that's a two hundred and forty thousand square foot warehouse, um, and at one end of the site we've um, we've got these boreholes sucking up this water at about seventeen degrees. It's going through a fairly simple heat pump process, um, uh, 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 and we're putting the water back at about ten degrees, ten or twelve degrees. Um, we do this with a big flow of water. We're, we're trying to get up to 100 litres a second flowing through this thing, um, because then we're looking at a heat pump that's possibly getting up to six to one, six, six kilowatts of heat in the warehouse to one kilowatt of electricity to run it. Now that's, that's, you know, that's pretty good for a heat pump. You know, you're normally starting to think that they're economic at about three to one. Um, so lots of refining to go on. You know, the water isn't terribly clean down there. Um, uh, uh, and it's got various chemicals in that eat all my sensors. That was the first year's problem. Um, uh, the, the, the chlorides in the mine water ate all my uh, flow sensors and uh, depth sensors. Um, so some challenges. But I think overall, this is this is a, a, a quite a good leap forward in in, in terms of uh, space heating, um, in terms of adding another technology obviously it's location specific but uh, this whole region is littered with these flooded coal mines so actually for the northeast of england this is not just a wine uh, wine industry opportunity this is this is you know any big any big warehouse spaces 
Um, uh, the, the other photos around this are just some of the plant and machinery, all fairly recognizable stuff. You know, a refrigeration uh, plant looks exactly like that top photo there. Um, so there's a heat exchanger. You can see some fairly big pipes there. So 100 liters a second is quite a lot, but that's what gets the efficiency up. Um, so I, I engaged consultants from, um, from Iceland to help me with the, with the initial design. Um, yeah. uh, even they got out of their depth, and so uh, we, 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 we've actually uh, we, we've we've uh, we've engaged uh, <laughs> lots of people from the university. We're, we're, we're getting there now. This is so, good technology, and um, the, the, the exciting news is that a hundred meter, sorry, a kilometer down the road is uh, is the region's big uh, art centre, and they've just started to do exactly the same thing. Um, and they're developing a six megawatt um, uh, uh, mine water heat system just a kilometre away based on ours. Because wow. uh, as, Marta, as Marta talks about, we've shared absolutely everything uh, with the local authority um, uh, uh, on this journey because, you know, the objective is to share this and, 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 and make it more universal. Very good, Adam. There's definitely some learnings there, both on the wind front and the space heating front in terms of you know, what, what not to do as well as what to do from your experience. I'm going to go to Ron. I mean, in terms of uh, what you've learned, Ron, in terms of where to start and uh, what where the low-hanging fruit are, can you uh, enlighten us and in, in where would you, if you were new to this, for example, right, as a, as a wine farmer, what, what are some of the tips you would give in, in terms of the first steps you would take to, to help manage your energy? Yeah, I think, you know, identifying uh, places where you can become more energy efficient uh, and, you know, kind of that, of course, can can reduce the overall energy use. I, you know, I think a place, especially if you're a winemaker and, and you're, you know, reporting to, to others in an organization that are looking at, at costs and so forth, you know, looking at when you're using the energy is also very important. So, you know, especially in California, most of the, the energy providers have time of use pricing. And so if you can better understand what energy you need to use, and even if you can't be much more efficient, if you can start shifting that usage away by maybe pre-cooling something or um, you know, at, at, a, at a different time of day or doing an operation at a different time of day, you can at least start to show uh, some value in, in thinking about energy uh, to the company. Yeah, that's that's very helpful. So you bring up the arbitrage um, is the word we use a lot. Uh, opportunity there in terms of how much you generate yourself in terms of both uh, electricity and, and heat and cooling, but also um, in terms of what what you, you 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 could feed back onto the grid. And on some countries, you know, aren't as advanced. Like in South Africa, we were having a discussion with Bruce Jack Wines and and Distel the other day. And you know they don't have the same framework in terms of feed-in uh, uh, tariffs, so they don't get a payment uh, for mm -hmm. that. But um, that arbitrage opportunity in, in markets like California and in the UK, when the policy framework is 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 uh, is understood and and not disrupted, is a huge benefit, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I would say one other thing is to also think about you know the length of time that you're you're. You're, you're using the energy. So for instance, if you need to cool something down, if you decide to cool that down over three hours instead of one hour, you know, you can reduce, you know, the, the uh, kind of um, the energy usage at any one point in time. 
And so that's uh, been an advantage to us in some of our rainwater capture systems and the, the energy that we would need to use to purify that into potable water. We have a very small uh, reverse osmosis unit because much for, for us in California, much of that rainwater typically falls sort of in the, in the off season for winemaking operations. And so we can kind of spread that, that uh, sort of process out over you know, weeks and months. And so that allows us to utilize uh, solar power uh, that we have on site to run those operations. If we were trying to, to clean that water as, as it was being collected, we would have to have uh, a much larger energy uh, requirements. Very good. Anna, now you talk about green champions, don't you, Napa Green? Mm -hmm. yes. Is that right? Is that the, the language that you, you, you celebrate case studies of you know, folks that are really trying hard on this? Can you just give us an example of a sort of green champion that's done something interesting? And I note that uh, Martin and Christina are putting some case studies, I think, uh, through in the chat as well. So yeah, something that comes to mind that's an interesting story on a green champion. Yeah, and in, in preparing for this, what she's sharing is I wrote up an article of kind of our key findings and successes in improving energy efficiency. So um, to make me feel useful, please go read that article. <laughs> um, but I will say, so I'll, I'll, I'll think of a champion as I'm saying this, but one of the things that we do is that we require that all of our wineries have what's called a green team, or they can call it whatever they want to call it. We call it a green team. But, and, and most of our members are very small. I want to stress that. So that might just be two or three people, but dedicated people that are tracking energy use, seeing where there's opportunities. And I have to say where we've seen the most um, opportunities. So one of the wineries that comes to mind, although this was on water savings, but as I said, water savings have an energy savings yep. is St. Supreme Estate. Um, we did not it with them. They saw an opportunity to save more water. They then said, okay, this is our goal. And then they set up, they called tailgates with their team. They said, this is our goal. This is where we're at. This is where we want to be at. What are your ideas for what we could do better? And then they took those ideas and they implemented them. And then critically, they gave them regular feedback on the progress they were making. This is what we achieved. These are the savings we have. This is how much more we want to do. And everybody got kind of a little competitive, friendly competition. Like, I want to know what hospitality is using, and I want to know what the seller is using. And they were able to cut their water use, which again had an energy savings by more than 20% in two years. Um, so those kinds of things, that that feedback, that engaging the team and, and letting them really kind of track where they're at, again, getting back to that tracking the use and feeding that back is really, really important. Very good. And I think you use the phrase thinking systemically or systematically, right, as a, as a system. So everything that is interplaying. And I think that's a, a very clever approach, which is, reminds me of the sort of point I was making about turning it into a virtuous uh, circle as opposed to a vicious one. Yeah. Um, Adam, going to you, I mean, do you guys have a green team or is it all left to yourself? <laughs> I know you're the expert on energy in, in, in the business, but uh, no, I must admit, uh, I, have, uh, I have found it uh, quite hard. We, we've got about 500 people um, uh, across the business and I, I haven't been as successful as I, as I ought to have been in, in bringing, bringing people across. Um, uh, bringing people into, into this and getting them excited about it. Do you know what? I was walking across the car park to come to this meeting and I was infuriated by how many people were waiting to be picked up in cars that were running. Things like that annoy me so much. Uh, and, and, you know, I haven't, you know, any, any staff that are on board or that are being waiting, <laughs> waiting in the car park with the engines running haven't got yeah. it. 
somehow. <laughs> um, uh, it's, it's, it, it, it's a tough one that I, I, I've come across that many times. Uh, Ron, any lessons in terms of how you share the, the workload? Um, uh, you, uh, do you get much support? Uh, we have a, a couple of faculty members and staff members that are that are helping on this, but definitely, I would say in the last few years, uh, you know, we we could probably uh, increase that to to try to keep up with the pace of of the changes in need. I mean, the you know, as far as over the last uh, five plus years, you know, the I think the wineries in California are thinking a lot more about, you know, energy usage, water usage with the droughts, you know, even sort of the time of use and having on-site generation and storage uh, to kind of manage through some of the power outages. And so, you know, there's things that are changing a lot more and, and you know, sometimes, especially at large organizations like the university, we're not always uh, able to, to, to keep up with that uh, as much as we would like to. Um, Ron, while we're with you, tell us a bit more about the LEED certification and with platinum and the whole sort of implications on efficiency. Yeah, so, you know, we were able to sort of start out with kind of a, a, a vision that really was started probably about two decades ago with some of my uh, colleagues uh, in discussions with uh, Robert Mandavi, you know, and in, in kind of their investment in our department, um, including this teaching and research winery. Uh, and so, you know, this allowed us to start with the infrastructure that help us reduce energy usage. And so we have things like uh, a high level of insulation in this building, a lot of natural lighting. I'll see if I can move out of uh, the way here. And you can see we have lights here. There's only one of them on, uh, you know, for the people that are working here. And, that, and the lights that are typically on in this building are required by the fire department. Um, and, and so this kind of gives us uh, the infrastructure, you know, to use less energy. Uh, but we wanted to go beyond that in, 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 in trying to achieve and demonstrate ways to become, you know, sort of zero water or, or net water, uh, zero on site, as well as uh, energy production. And so that really required us to have a complementary building for that sort of infrastructure, which is the, the Jessex Jackson building for sustainable winemaking, where now we have uh, a, a larger solar panel array. We have uh, energy storage with, with used batteries that allows us to now, uh, you know, essentially run, run the winery off the grid, as well as, you know, reduce uh, peak usage and, and, and kind of demonstrate that. Wow. And, so, and so future work for us is, is going to be more on, on water, uh, you know, clean in place so that we can recycle the chemistry uh, that we're using. And so that becomes... Uh, a choice in what sort of chemistries we're using and, and demonstrating that that might be uh, that that will work for the industry. Clearly, a lot of best best in class um, uh, technological technological innovation there, um, Ron. Now, I want to turn to the issue of access to finance because, again, when we were talking uh, to the Southern African uh, businesses about their challenges, one of them was to do with you know accessing finance to then invest in solar or wind or any other technological improvements from an energy point of view, for example. And it's, a, again, a, a cycle that one wants to create where governments support the financiers in a way that the financiers can then support the SMEs, especially um, if they're trying to innovate, right? Anna, any thoughts about how that, uh, that cycle can be improved from an access to finance uh, front? What's an interesting one in terms of I would say almost half of our certified wineries, we have uh, 85, 86 certified wineries, um, do have their own renewable energy. 
Um, but that finance is a challenge. I don't know if this is a phrase that, that, that goes beyond the United States, but a lot of them have what's called a power purchase agreement. So they're not the direct owners of the solar, yeah. Um, yeah. sort of, they're kind of an intermediary creating the solar and that can be a more effective upfront financial solution. But then of course they get, it's kind of like leasing a car, they get less of the benefits later on once that solar has paid itself off um, in terms of the installation. Another challenge, not to be a Debbie Downer, but that we have in California is, um, Adam, you were talking about you only get the trade price for that energy you feed back. We don't even get that. Um, mm. Depending who your who your energy provider is, um, I won't go too far down the rabbit hole, but we do have some um, what are called community choice aggregation groups that are providing higher levels. Yeah, of we have those yeah. in California. Um, they will pay for that excess energy fed back to the grid, but it's not the value of that per kilowatt hour based on what people would pay. So there's still that challenge of like, I have solar, I don't get paid for that excess, you know, to the, it's about 24 cents per kilowatt hour in California. You'll usually only get a fraction of that paid to you for any excess. So that's a big challenge right now, I think, for in terms of that financial piece. For it certainly is, and I see some um, there's some very interesting and helpful points being put in the chat. So, for example, Kelly's even got her uh, email address there on on some of the the learnings and opportunities with regards to to financing. I mean, Adam, what what do you feel about um, whether there are financing opportunities for SMEs to? I, I, I think in the, in the in the UK this is getting better actually. Um, uh, certainly, certainly, uh, 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 people in the banks um, uh, are understanding this. I mean, getting the finance on the first wind turbine in 2012 was painful, and and we basically had to uh, asset back it with the with a building because that was the only thing they understood. It was the first wind turbine the bank had uh, had financed, um, but now. They're turning up with these huge funds that they have to invest in in sustainability projects. So if you, if your business is, uh, is is in reasonable shape, I would say that finance, uh, my experience of finance, is it's getting it's getting a lot better. So initially, uh, my guess is you would have had to go to a specialist um, lender like Triodos Bank, but now uh, it's more mainstream. Is that what uh, you're saying? Uh, absolutely, HSBC now are turning up with with these vast funds. Uh, you know, looking for sustainability projects here in the UK. Um, and that's fortunate for the UK. I mean, again, I think in, in developing countries, that's very difficult to find. And it does yeah. beg the question, you know, everyone's just been in, in, in New York talking about climate finance. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, the Americans have just doubled their commitment on, on the towards the $100 billion um, that we agreed uh, in Paris, but we, it hasn't materialized. Um, I mean, do you think that sort of money, right? Let's say it is 100 billion, which is still a, a small amount. I mean, um, do you think that is that kind of climate finance funds from the developed world should be channeled into helping developing world uh, businesses do things like transition away from coal in South Africa or India or China? Well, obviously, if we're going to if we're going to make a difference uh, 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 at the global level, and uh, and I must admit this this. This this area is is what causes me most stress actually when uh, when 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 talking and thinking about uh, uh, these sort of projects. If you if you start uh, thinking about the big picture and what we have to do as a planet, it can get quite depressing. Really, um, I, I much must admit I, I don't know I don't know much about how 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 you know government finances like a hundred billion 
uh, that's been proposed. I don't know much about how that works um, in terms of spreading it around the world, but clearly we could be better at it. Um, uh, but my experience of, 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 of a sort of small commercial world is we are getting better at it. Um, yeah. I, I don't know how that's going to translate into, uh, into funding these things around the world in the way that we need to do. Yeah, indeed. I mean, I think if we're going to get serious. We need to get into the trillions. I mean, if you think about yeah. it, you know, two percent of the global GDP is two, roughly two trillion dollars, and that seems like a much more reasonable approach if climate change. Much, is... much of much of this should should get easier as these things become yeah. econ economically viable. I mean, now yeah. solar panels are uh, now solar panels are one of the cheapest forms of electricity generation. Surely that changes the balance in these things and the, and the way funders look at it. Yeah. Um, so, let, so let's just get into some of the other technological areas that people are asking about in the chat, like um, battery storage, which I think is a, is a really good one. And I've had a bit of experience with um, the hybridization of solar and batteries. In the UK, we founded a company called GridServe, uh, Sustainable Energy, four of us. Um, and initially, it was about balancing the grid with all the renewables going onto the grid. There's been a balancing problem, but actually, we've sort of morphed that business model much more into sort of supercharging of electric vehicles, uh, because otherwise, you're too reliant on the national grid and and their their sort of tender uh, opportunities. I mean, uh, Ron, let's go back to you on on storage. Um, you've experimented with so many different technologies. Uh, what, what what's your view on on the sort of battery opportunity with uh, the renewables, do you see a lot of that coming into play now? Uh, yeah, I think we are seeing uh, a few wineries that have, have uh, adopted that, you know, over the last number of years. And I know there was a question about larger installations. I guess it maybe depends on how large they are, but I know that there are some, some fairly large companies that have invested in that for some of their sites, um, you know, obviously much larger than us uh, on campus, but we do about a hundred tons of of processing on campus. And again, you can see we have a lot of small fermenters here. So any, you know, many times when you go to smaller scale for the smaller wineries out there, you know, the, the scaling of cost per, per gallon of wine is, is kind of to your disadvantage, just, you know, for, for instance, from a volume to surface area standpoint. Uh, and so that, that sometimes puts us at a disadvantage. And, and so our small system here uh, is working sufficiently for, for us at this time, but, uh, we, we have seen at least a, a couple of producers, uh, you know, uh, invest in that kind of in the North Coast area, at least. Yeah, because it certainly enables your earlier points on arbitrage with, with, with the behind the meter, sort of security of your own supply and then being able to feed it back to the grid when the price is right to, to actually have a little... Uh, <laughs> bit of a commercial opportunity there to actually make a bit of money uh, because you're storing your own energy and, and using it wisely, uh, you know, and uh, feeding it back when it when the price is right. So Anna, yeah. I mean, what's your thoughts on the sort of hybridization of these different technologies? Well, in terms of batteries, as Ron said, we have had a few of our members that have installed batteries. I think the important thing, the thing we find some folks still don't understand is that batteries aren't going to run your winery if the electricity goes out, right? We've been having the power turned off by our electricity provider due to these fire risks. Batteries aren't gonna run the winery. They're just there to shave that peak energy use. That's, that's where that utility is there. 
Um, and I think the engineer that leads our audits has felt like that that hasn't been cost effective for most wineries. So that gets back to this financing and funding issue, but it's getting more and more cost effective. So I think we see huge potential there in terms of batteries as that gets more cost effective moving forward. And okay, I- because, Yeah, sorry, just to go to Adam for a second, we'll come back to you, Anna, because you were talking about a surplus of wind energy that you were generating that you didn't need, right? So, so surely, I mean, guess you didn't have batteries at that at that time when you were doing wind. No, we have we 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 have batteries on the agenda now. We have a we have a we have a company that's designed us a system, and we're uh, we're it will go into our we're building a new facility at the moment, and that will have that will have a megawatt of solar on the roof because we haven't invested much in solar yet. Uh, and it will have a battery system that actually will run the factory for four hours. Um, so that's partly a security thing. That's partly an excess electricity thing um, uh, uh, and smoothing the peaks. Um, but yes, it, I, I would say it's, um, uh, I'm wrestling with it a little bit because I mean, there's a, there's a lot of embedded energy. There's a lot of chemistry in there that, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of material. Um, so I'm 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 I, I'm not I'm not absolutely convinced that it's it's the right way to go for us just at the moment uh, in the big picture. We've got quite a lot of other things to go at. You know, we're a commercial organisation, so really we can't. You yeah. know, we're limited by our finances. So, um, or, or, I, but I, am I, I right? In, am I right, Adam, in understanding that you weren't able to monetize the surplus of wind energy in the in the past? Um, because you were generating more wind than you needed to uh, well well we, we we get a trade price for it we're a 24 um, we're a 24 hour a day operation six six days a week with a clean down on on sundays so um so you know it's a constant okay, so you getting, yeah because yeah. because yeah. what was the uh what was the sort of saga about in in scotland there was there was apparently maybe it was just the daily mail causing trouble as some of these newspapers do um, that uh, you know there was there was so much excess of renewables that um, it was just all being wasted. I mean, uh, yes, I, th I think that is has been daily mailized. I think uh, uh, you know you, you, with with energy management, there's always the peaks and troughs. And uh, and actually, what what I think is if, if we've got enough batteries to to be off grid, we've probably got too many batteries because a certain amount of that capacity will probably only get used two or three times a year. And, and I think that's really wasteful as a resource, um, unless we can connect it to the grid and do what you were suggesting there, um, yeah. do a grid feedback. The problem is in our region that you have to be three megawatts to be able to manage your own grid um, uh, supplementing. Ah. So, so there's, a, there's a scale issue. Um, and I don't think that we want to be at that scale because I think we would end up with too many batteries on site. It would be a- That's very interesting. Okay, so just going back to Anna, I mean, anything else you wanted to say, Anna, on other hybrid opportunities besides, you know, the, the battery one we, we've been discussing? Well, this is one of those examples where I'm not going to directly <laughs> answer you the question you've asked me. But I think what we've gotten to is kind of this really high level conversation. And a lot of these are things that right now only really big players can afford, right? Like Jackson family and and so at least for us, most of our members are much smaller. And so we're talking about things that a lot of our members couldn't really take advantage of. But what I do wanted to mention, yeah. um, again, to that systems thinking approach, and I know this has been covered in other Porter Protocol conversations, 
but is also thinking about energy management in terms of your purchasing, right? So I know this is a big topic of conversation, but we know that packaging and distribution is anywhere from 30 to 50% on average of any winery's carbon footprint. And a lot of that is the energy and producing and manufacturing and moving, shipping that to you and then shipping it out to customers. So I just wanted, I'm thinking more about kind of getting back to those, what can the smaller to medium sized yeah. winemakers do? That's a really key area to think about in terms of your larger system is that environmentally, it's not a sexy term, but environmentally preferable purchasing, lightning bottle weight, thinking about your packaging choices, all of that's very key to energy management. Very good. And you, I mean, you've provided a, a takeaway in terms of some of those, those sort of steps, haven't you? I think it's in the chat as well, right? Um, in, in terms of the slide that, that uh, I think I saw you send. Um, in, uh, uh, let's just see. Oh, yes, that, that one. Thank you very much. Again, Martin, very quick. Uh, so don't solarize. Your, yeah, this is some of the stuff that you were just sort of referring to, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, I think we've all sent a slide of kind of our some high level recommendations. So that's, this will be available to everybody who's listening today. Um, but just trying to, to give some, some key recommendations of what we're working on. Um, this doesn't get specifically to that packaging and distribution, but we have a lot of resources too on our website. If you go to member resources, we have some things about packaging, um, but that's another important area to think about, definitely. Yeah, that's very helpful. And, and Ron, in terms of your sort of takeaway, I mean, what, um, what are some of the, oh, here we go. <laughs> Marta, you're too good. I think it's you. Um, uh, do you want to talk to this a little bit, Ron? Yeah, so I think I've covered a number of these things, and, and it sounds like, especially through organizations like Napa Green, you know, measuring and monitoring, you know, not, you know, energy usage and, and, and other types of resources like water, uh, and especially being able to, to quantify how much and when. Uh, so then you can start thinking about prioritizing, you know, what you're doing uh, as far as uh, minimizing that usage or changing when you're using it. So Again, for someone that maybe isn't at a point where they can, can change out any sort of infrastructure, if you can start thinking about when am I using certain resources and can I, can I shift that to different parts of the day? Um, and, and of course, if you're, you're, you're monitoring and measuring that, then you can also identify ways that maybe you can reduce that and, and kind of really like that example that Anna had about sort of the competition within the various aspects of the, the facility, uh, which is fantastic. And we're continuing to work on uh, and demonstrate ways of both using data uh, archiving for real-time monitoring and, and, and analysis, as well as doing this over longer periods of time. So, you know, we can start to look at, at trends as far as when people are using different resources, uh, maybe sometimes in a good way, as, as well as uh, where we could really try to dig down and understand why was it that we were using that resource uh, to a much greater extent at that time. Yes, indeed. And it's very, I mean, how do we keep abreast of the, the learnings from, from UC Davis in terms of the scalability as you do that, Ron? Is that something that the port, hopefully the Porter Protocol is, is going to help, uh, help with that? Because there's clearly a lot of stuff going forward that will be good to stay uh, abreast of from, from you. Yeah, we, we, we do a pretty good job, I guess, of, of trying to communicate, uh, you know, within California. But I, yeah, I'm hoping that maybe interactions with the Porto Protocol can yeah. help uh, reach a, a broader audience. Very definitely. Now, so. I, yes. Sorry, is that, um, was that Christina coming in or Martin? It was Martin, yes, saying just, yes, we are hoping for that as well from UC Davis. 
Very good. And it's a good time to hand back to you, Porter Protocol, but I, I probably have missed some questions in the chat because we've had such a, 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 a sort of fast moving conversation. I, and I apologize to people in the chat if I haven't uh, put your questions to the panel. And, and Christina, you might have seen some that I've missed out, but I, I think it's probably time that I hand it back to you uh, to, to try and wrap up. But I've certainly enjoyed having our discussion with Ron and, uh, and Adam. I'm just going to ask one more question to Ron. So we look at the future before going on to the present. Ron, can you share with us what can we expect in the future in terms of new technologies that you're looking at into and that might we might be able to scale, scale worldwide in terms of energy management? Or as Anna said, when we save water, we are saving energy as well. Can you just give us a glimpse of what we might be looking into and we have to stay, stay tuned for? Yeah, so one, one of the things uh, is, is clean in place. We're, we're kind of going through some, uh, some, some bids right now for that sort of system where we would be uh, doing a much better job of recycling, not just the water uh, on site, but also the chemistry. You know, these, these types of technologies have been used for decades in other industries like the dairy. But, you know, what we find in many in, uh, instances, you know, even trying to reapply something from brewing is not... Uh, trivial uh, because of the seasonality of, of winemaking. And so uh, we're looking forward to moving forward uh, with that, hopefully uh, in, the, in the upcoming years. So thank you for that, Ron. If you, if, summing it up, wrapping this conversation, looking at this table, we have from maximizing energy efficiency, starting with Anna, looking at small producers that might not have the investment uh, capability, capacity to, to go into wind and geothermal, as Adam has <coughs> showed us here. We have looked at new technologies and looking at state-of-the-art wineries with lead, with lead platinum winery, as UC Davis has. And we've seen top-notch top uh, renewable energies with, with Lancaster. But we should never forget, and I think, honestly, I think that's two really important messages and using Anna's words, maximize your energy efficiency. And this is so basic sometimes, and it doesn't require so, and I think that's our key message. It doesn't require much to start climate action. You don't have to go into solar tomorrow, into wind. And this is really important. And another thing is, and I think honestly, that's one of the reasons why we decided not to entitle this climate talk as energy transition or anything of a kind. We wanted to go back to basics. That's really important. First of all, that we start with basic, with simple things, because that can make they can make a really uh, big difference, even in terms of carbon footprints and what how we are impacting the environment. And another thing is never forget that when we're talking about energy in terms of wine production. We're not just talking about your lighting and your tanks. We are talking about your packaging and your transportation and your car fleet, your lighting at the offices, everything, everything is energy management. So never forget this and take a look at the wine value chain. So we'll leave you for now. Again, uh, we have to thank one of our members. I think he was listening, which is Tom from, our, uh, from, from Dot on at Vineyards. He was the one that suggested that we have some sort of deliverable from our guests. And that's why we showed you this uh, slide with the key takeaway messages uh, from uh, each of our guests. So thank you, Tom. We want to make these talks as efficient, as practical as we can. 
we have two other talks coming up. One of them is uh, a new topic, not new, but we haven't seen it so much. Uh, and again, it's a very practical one from where we, we stand, which is circular innovation in the wine industry. It's very practical because that's the way we'll be approaching. We will be bringing you real practices of how this is coming to life in various companies within the wine world worldwide. And then we'll have another business sense of internalizing climate change. Some of you have listened before. It's a fourth and last edition of the year. And we have, again, three amazing guests. We have Caroline Thompson-Hill from Accolade Wines. You probably know this company. She's the MD for the UK uh, branch. And they're doing amazing things, again, also actually in regards to circularity and packaging, lightening their bottles and trying new uh, formats such as Garson Wines, which is another member of ours that has a, a PET recycled bottle. We have uh, Nicole Sierra-Rollet, which is from uh, Chenbleu in, the US, in, in France, although she's American as well, and Michele Manelli, which is from Salcetto in Italy. So I'll leave you for now. Don't forget to send us an email if you're interested in our current manage management workshop. And I'll say goodbye. This will end up abruptly and I'll contact uh, our guests in a few seconds. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you.